This bottle spells tongue oil incorrectly. Uh, yeah, but it's a different kind of tongue. What do you use that for, bud? Um, that tongue oil is for, um, uh, using it for swords and sword blades and, uh, things like that. Oh. Keep, helps keep that stuff lubed up. Mm. Keeps it from getting rusty. But I'll tell you, that tongue oil is not cheap. Does it smell a little funky too? Uh, yeah, it has, it definitely has sort of a smell. It's not unpleasant though, but it's, it's definitely right. expensive. So that's for your wood weapons? Uh, yes. I use it on the wood and, um, you know, I have used it on, uh, some of my metal weapons too. Oh. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. It's just dry as hell here. You know that. So. Amen gotta, to that. Gotta try to. High mountain desert. Nobody knows it. It's a real thing here in Colorado. Yeah. And it's dry as, dry it's as a bone right now. Windy as sin too. That was good to see you in class today. It was a good, nice full class. Yeah. We had a pretty good class considering, you know, it's, it's. Holiday of sorts, so people tend, you know, to do other things and family things. So we had a pretty good turnout. Had quite a bit of fun. I was still working on stuff as usual, yeah. but um, yeah, you know, I think today, um, what what I want to discuss is this idea of sort of skills testing, and I think we've talked, we've touched on this before, but really, like s- skills testing versus more like martial application, martial usage. Especially in Chinese martial arts, because the skills testing, I think I see it, I think I see what I would call skills testing. Sure. In, uh, Japanese martial arts as well. Sure, absolutely. So, yeah. And maybe to a certain extent, Korean arts, which I don't know that much about, but, um, you know, things like board breaking, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, I went to like way back in the nineties when I first started studying these to have these, um, big, uh, I want to say they were, I don't know if they were Shotokan tournaments down in denver um and they were big you know they'd, they'd pull you'd buy tickets and it wasn't be, the valley tudos was it no 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 no. this was this was all karate and it was it was i'm pretty sure it was shotokan and they did they had like you know a specific rule set that they sparred by um i mean kyokushin anyway um long story short was is they would always have you know a number of fights and then they would have uh kind of in the middle it was like kind of like an intermission but it was a demo, like they'd have demos. And so they'd bring out, you know, like giant blocks of ice. Yeah. And they would stack them up. You know, everybody's kind of seen videos of that stuff. And it's, I mean, it's pretty fucking impressive. It is super impressive. You see it and you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, this guy just broke the, broke, you know, six of these things with his elbow. I love seeing the ladies do it. Here's yeah, this 90 sure. pound woman and yeah. she just went through seven cinder blocks with, you know, mm-hmm. oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I watched, watched this guy break a baseball bat with a shin, like a shin kick. Not, I was like, not for me. I was like, holy shit. That's, that's impressive. You know? And so I guess the thing that I really wanted to talk today, talk about today is does that kind of stuff really translate to martial efficacy? Right? Or what about fighting? Yeah, sure. The F word. Yeah, the F word. You know, and I, I think in uh, uh, Chinese martial arts, they have tons of this stuff too. You know, so it's oh, the demos like, and the street, yeah, street performers. Yeah, and, there's a lot of that in the, in the street performance stuff. There's a lot of like uh, qigong masters that you sure. see out there doing stuff. You know, setting fires with their hands, and and that's yeah, all fucking fake, by the way. But oh, I, totally. I, I've never. I mean, I've never. Let me put it this way: I've never seen any like legit evidence that anybody could really do that without. Dying. Yeah. I mean, well, burning it's just, something. It's just, it's, uh, it's like one of those things you're like, really, really, really. But I mean, hey, maybe it is real. Who knows? Um, 
but I've had some, when I was in China, I had some close encounters with these, with these, uh, Qigong guys at, uh, a clinic down in, uh, Guangzhou, uh, that we, that I went to when I was on this tour. And, um, you know, there was, it was interesting. They did, they were doing some interesting stuff, but I don't know if it was, it wasn't necessarily like, uh, setting fires with their hands or like, you know, whatever, like call the, what is it? The Kong Jin, right. With the, the, the empty forest people, right. Who are Ooh, the, the, that's chi bubble to protect you. Yeah, for sure. The, 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 not the masters who can knock people out, knock mm-hmm. their, well, they can, I guess, knock their own students out, but they can't seem to knock anybody else. It's out. It's only fake if you don't believe it. And then when they, they fight somebody else, then they get knocked out, which is kind of sad, but it's true. And there's quite a bit of that stuff on the internet. I think if um, anybody's not familiar with that, just, you know, go look up, you know, MMA versus Chinese martial arts master or something like that. And there's a, quite a few of those type videos. And I remember the first ones that came out, like, I don't know, it was probably six or eight years ago now. Um, and boy, that guy got starched just right out of the gate. This, the, you know, some MMA guy just was like, okay. And this guy was going to use his empty force powers. On this guy, and this guy just just popped him like two or three times in the head, and he just he went down like a bag of rocks. You know, I've actually seen that in the early, or excuse me, early the late '90s when internet was just coming about, mm. and it wasn't so popular with you know the Chinese Wu masters. Mm-hmm. I'm not counting them. There's all kinds of Chinese martial arts. I'm just throwing out the certain kinds that we're not big fans of. But I actually saw it in America with like American, you know. Bunny ears in the air, quote, Chinese martial arts masters mm. and the same things. There's usually karate guys or, you know, a boxer or something like that. And they'd be hold, holding up their chi bubble and all of a sudden they'd get kicked to the face. Sure. Or, you know, reality comes uh, hitting in hard. There's uh, one of my favorite movies with Clooney was The Men Who Stare at Goats. And there's that scene where they're talking about the link letter method or something like that. And there's this guy with fish hooks in his testicles and he's got like 70 pounds of sand on each wavo, so to say and the one guy dares to ask in class and this guy's holding these fish hooks in his balls with this you know 70 pounds of sand and one guy raises his hand he's like uh sir what's the practical application of of this right and it's right. A, it is a valid question uh i you know i was telling you about um what am i more as a tarot teacher's bill and Bill, as well as doing like daily, you know, Qigong, you know, it'd be Tai Chi. He might do daily. He might do some Bagua. He might do some Xingyi. Bill knew a ton of stuff. He might do some pad work for a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he would daily do a forearm and a hand conditioning for about 20 or 30 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And dude, that guy, his hands, they felt heavy and they felt like – not like uh like the ribbing in a roll of quarters, but the heaviness of like like a solid bar, mm-hmm, sure, like his fingertips and stuff like that, so he's like, "Could I knock somebody out?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure I could, but there's never a guarantee on that, mm-hmm. you know with mm-hmm. with these you know the iron hand training, but he's like, "But I'll tell you what, if I hit somebody in the ribs a couple times, they're gonna." not be happy about it and it might that you know it might break up an altercation that way mm-hmm. as well as the body toughening method and i think it it i think if you have it in your system you're very lucky go ahead and train it 
But I don't think it can be the only thing that can be trained, these gongs. Mm. It can't be the only thing that's trained. You know, if you forget about footwork, if you forget about timing, if you forget about position, if you forget about interaction, because I think too much of us have this idea or concept in our head that that other person across from us is going to set up for us exactly how we want them to, Mm -hmm. and they're going to do exactly what we want them to. No, this is – if you're actually engaged in combat – it is a chaos scenario. And so anything could happen. And so, you know, you have to be prepared for absolutely anything. Yeah. And I think that that sort of speaks to back in the day where you had the iron palm master, right? That's that's where I think a lot of those sort of like conditioning methods came from. And then they were extrapolated like a lot of things in Chinese martial arts to sort of the nth degree, so to speak. And they became uh, – they became – uh, it was like a practice method that became a style or a solo piece. Mm-hmm. It, it was Man. part of maybe a greater system and then somebody just fleshed it out and more and more training with it and mm-hmm. more training with it. And now we have Iron Bell you know, or sure. Golden Bell. Yep. Now we have Red Sand Palm mm-hmm. or the Black Poison Palm, whatever it may be. And those things keep going. You know, And those are not the only things that we're talking about, I guess, here. You know, how do your drills transfer over to actual either sparring or combat or even self-defense? You know, how do your, how do your sticky hands, how do your, um, I'm always going to mispronounce it, Dwayliu, uh, the two man drills, mm-hmm. how does that transfer over into either actual sparring, actual engagement or actual application? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, because I think it, what it boils down to is, at some point you have to take this, you have to build the skill. You have to learn the skill. And I think that that's, that's kind of what we're sort of talking about in its initial stages. So, you know, maybe some good conditioning, some body conditioning, some, if you're, if you're really, at least in my system, the way that we like to think about it is, you know, if you, we are, um, you know, if you're going to be using it as a martial art, right. In whatever capacity, then yeah, you probably want to do some of those conditioning type drills because it's important to, you know, sort of toughen the body, so to speak. Um, but how far do you want to go? I think that's always the question. Is how like, much free time? Like our last episode. Yeah, exactly. How much free time yeah. do you have? How far can you go? Mm-hmm. Well, it, apparently you can go pretty far because I know that a lot of those iron palm masters, well, I won't say it that way. I will say that it, uh, iron palm, if it is practiced incorrectly, will give you, you'll end up with like arthritis. You know, oh, sure. You'll end up with like nerve damage. You'll end up with arthritis. I know a lot of Thai boxers, you know, end up with like pretty serious nerve damage in their shins and things like that from hip problems. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and, and I guess you have to decide if the juice is worth the squeeze. And so if you're kind of a nine to five guys like us, then probably not. Right. Mm-hmm. Like mm, maybe I don't want to go all the way down the, the iron palm route. Uh, you know, or maybe I don't want to go down all the way down the golden bell route. You kind of have to pick and choose how much of that stuff is going to be worth the time investment and then how much the, you know, how much sort of damage your body may take along the way. I have a question for you. Do you ever do any heavy pad or like heavy bag training at all? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I like a heavy bag. I do too. So I've got a question for you. Maybe since we're not only nine to five guys, but I'm starting to realize even with my alternate methods of training, you know, I'm going to be 43 in about four months here is I'll have one or two days of, let's just say weight training. Mm. Okay. That I will go 
all out and really intense. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I find when I do it once a week, that's when I get the best benefits. Mm-hmm. And then the other days I'll work on less weight, more rep, but more focusing on the quality of movement that I'm doing. Sure. And so I might slow it down, whatever it may be, or use a lighter version of whatever weight that is. Mm-hmm. I'm finding the same thing is with, you know, uh, working with Maria, my wooden lady, you know, my wooden, my mok chong, you know, I, I don't tee off on her, but I find that if I have a good day that I set aside where I just work on her because, you know, it is a wooden apparatus and I am hitting it with a, with a, a, a good amount of force. Mm-hmm. But if I have a day where I work on that and then I work on stretching afterwards, mm. I find that I get the maximum result in what little time I can do for my training. On those days, I usually set aside two hours. Sure. I have a good little warm up. I'll work with Maria for 45 minutes to an hour. And then I'll do either some light Indian clubs or some Tai Chi ball, or I might do some shingy turns or some Bagua. And then I'll get out the old mat and grab the Theracane <laughs> and I'll grab the, uh, the lacrosse balls and I'll get to work on taking some of that tension that I put in the body out. Right. So I, I think, you know, another thing too is levels of intensity in your training, right? I think that's a good bridge into actual sparring. In actual combat, you know, if you're a rookie, again, I, I bring up the pock punch drill a lot because that's usually a lot of the first drills and a lot of Wing Chun as far as the two man drills go. Mm-hmm. And so when you're a rookie, you know, you hopefully won't have a, your partner teeing off on you. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're going to have to reset your stance every time. You're going to have to reset your guard hands every time. So if you're an advanced student, what you do is you dial down your intensity and you really focus on the quality of movement that Mm -hmm. you're doing. And then if you're a rookie, you're really focusing on one or two things, putting the force from your hands into the floor and the ground through your stance and your posture, and then trying to dabble in the timing. But as as you get better and better and better, if you get advanced students that have been at it for eight to 10 years... Well, then it's like, okay, you guys, I want you to do entries with the POC mm-hmm. punch drill. Sure. I want you to throw on the gloves, throw on the mouthpiece, and, okay, Randall, you're just going to do uh, POC sao, quan uh, sao, and um, lop sao. Mm-hmm. And then you get two strikes. And then, James, you can throw whatever you want at him. Sure. You know, like dialing in on certain hands mm-hmm. and how to use that. So I think the other thing, too, is – not only variancy on on intensity of training, mm-hmm. but variancy in in how you dial up or dial down your your training methods. Okay, is it a drill? Are 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 these rookies? Ease into them. Make sure they get it in the nervous system. Make sure that they understand the qualities that they're supposed to have as a rookie. Later on, you can add on to it as they become more advanced students, mm-hmm. and then later on, you can put it into different contexts. Hey, guess what? We could do a poxow in chisow. Cool. We can do a poxow with the knives or the staff. How do you do that? Well, this is how you do it. Cool. Mm-hmm. So you're taking previous knowledge and putting it in a different context. Yeah, for sure. So all of a sudden poxow, you know, becomes a palm strike to the face, you know, or all of a sudden it comes a palm strike to the center line, right? Or maybe, sorry, I poxow the microphone. I guess I shouldn't do that. But uh, I was getting a little uh, excited over here. But I think that that's the thing is understanding, you know, frequency, variancy, all these concepts in your training. 
mm-hmm. how to dial it up and dial it down. What do you yeah. think, though? No, 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 for sure. I mean, you know, it's it's it's. It, I mean, it depends at least in, in my system on you know what you're trying to practice. There's always got to be a focus. In terms sure, of like you yeah. have to know what you're trying to practice, and some drills lend themselves to practicing you know certain things. So, you know, sometimes it's a footwork, sometimes it's distance, sometimes it's timing, sometimes it's actually a technique, sometimes it's how you're going to apply the technique, sometimes it's structure, sometimes it's force. There's so many ways that you can take a particular drill and kind of start to break it down. And then I think you're exactly right about like if you have two people who are training who are different different levels or at different places in the system, I think it becomes important for those people to understand like what they're what they're individually trying to get to or achieve, you know, and that the probably the more senior student needs to be able to like really take a step back and like understand like in terms of what they're training what are they maybe they're going to work on the same technique as the as the younger student the less advanced student but they can work at it in a different way absolutely and i think that 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 you know it could be around something technical it could be it could be a technical breakdown. It could be a movement of the arms. It could be a movement in connection to the body. It could be the actual you know application of the technique. Maybe they want to try two or three different types of of application. Okay, for a single yeah, there you go. That's great. That's wow, great learning. Just, oh, that's yeah. great learning. There's just so so many ways that you can begin to like dial up or dial down particular drills. Uh, you know when you do them, I think, and I think that's just so important because eventually you're going to ask for more resistance and more you're going to you're going to start to layer on uh layers of intensity and difficulty and resistance as as you both get better and progress in the drill and i could say the same thing about two-man sets too i think two-man sets really have that same kind of format uh the intention behind a two-man set can be a little bit different but as long as you're both clear on what you're trying to achieve and how you're playing that particular drill i think that then it becomes it can become a really good learning tool for both parties, no matter where they are in the learning process. I'm not. I'm, this is going to be on the same topic, but it might be a little little different direction. But I, again, I like to stay stay on the same topic. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. Here's my question for you. So I'm going to do it in the Shingy and the Bagua format. Okay, I've met a lot of Bagua and Shingy people, mm-hmm. but a lot of them do not have drills. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do not have uh, – and, and I can understand maybe with the Shingi, but a lot of them don't have a sticky hand or a push hand method, mm-hmm. at least some of the Bagua people I know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the people that I see, they're trying to do a one-to-one application with one of the five elements. Sure. Or, you know what I mean? So it looks like this. That's what it must be applied as. Mm-hmm. Or even with Bagua, it's like, okay, well, circle walking is how you fight somebody. Mm-hmm. You know? What would you say to that? I mean, it's a it's a huge hole in the understanding in the system. Yeah. And, and that being said, too, is you know maybe this is just from from the Americas or even Colorado because that's my, you know that's my main that's my main stomping grounds. Uh, some of the other schools that I've visited, I visited a couple in Texas, I visited a couple in California, and I visited a couple in Washington State. Um, but a, I find that a lot of Shingi and Bagua that I've met out there it's added on to tai chi mm. tai chi is their main curriculum mm-hmm. everything that they're doing is focused around tai chi mm-hmm. but to flush out what they offer for their students they might know the shingi five elements and they might know you know the eight 
uh, palm changes of Bagua, mm-hmm. but they have no martial understanding or efficacy or how to use that. Sure. Is is that something you've run into as a, as a Bagua and a Shingi teacher? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think th- I think that's pretty natural. Is like systems are disseminated across the the mm. globe, and especially like pre-internet. I think that yeah, there's just going to be gaping holes, and we've talked about this before. And I think a lot of those holes are based on culture. I think that you oh, know, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so you got you got transference. You've got a knowledge transfer of inf- between a Chinese person and somebody from somewhere else in the world, and you know, the Chinese person maybe they didn't want to teach everybody everything. They didn't want to teach you because you're not their indoor student, or they don't language like you. barrier. That's another one, right? Can be huge. Language barrier is massive, and you know the 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 languaging. That is used, and at least in my experience, the languaging that is used in these systems is very almost unique. And the way that we, the way that we talk about certain things and usages and gene and like how to apply things or you know conceptual information or philosophical information and kind sure. of where, where it plays into the system and then kind of like you know we don't really go for that or it, you know the, I think that there's just so many kind of barriers to entry that it doesn't surprise me at all that people have gaps in their system and then they're trying to go back and maybe they're trying to fill that in. But, you know, to bring it back to what we had initially started with, a lot of times those people can, can demonstrate certain skills. So like within within the context of their system, maybe somebody has like, you're like, Oh, look at that. They can go, they can, they're very relaxed in their, in their Taiji and they can drop all the way down. But does that translate into them being able to use it? In my opinion, no. But what it is is it shows a certain control over the nervous system and it shows a certain maybe level of aptitude or knowledge, which I think is also important, you know, to practice kind of being a more well-rounded martial artist. But, you know, does that, does that, like I said, does that translate into them actually being able to like use it? And I don't think so. I think, I mean, maybe it does, maybe because it's, maybe it's part of a larger context that they use to maybe fight in their system, totally possible, but, uh, I haven't seen a lot of it, you know, and I haven't seen a lot of, uh, like high G practitioners in particular who can, who are, can really like throw down, um, without having some sort of supplementary training. And, and, you know, I think we had, we had spoken about this before, but there's that, you know, the 1929 Li Tai that all the Chinese yeah. practitioners, martial arts practitioners today, we love to talk about it. And wasn't everybody there? They, yeah. Everybody was there, by the way. Right. Yeah. We were there. Yeah. And everybody won. That's exactly right. Yeah. Everybody, every, everybody got a gold medal. Everybody every, was number one. Everybody's teachers, 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 teacher participated and everybody's teacher, teacher, teachers won somehow. I don't know how. That <laughs> anyway. Uh, Participation trophies, buddy. <laughs> Maybe it was. It doesn't seem right though. Uh, but the long story short is, is that there was a, a, a pretty famous practitioner um, whose surname is Joel, Joel, I think. Anyway, uh, he was a, he was a young student of Cheng Chao Tong and, uh, he was a Xingyi guy and he, he, there's a very famous article out there on the internet and I'm sure you can find it. I'll probably put it in the show notes, um, uh, that you can read that he, and he talks all about it and he talks about how there was a lot of bullshit going on and he mm. was like, and he's, he's very candid about his opinions of of, of the skills and the people Read that who were one. There. I love that piece. And there's not a lot. And he specifically says that there wasn't, there wasn't hardly anybody there who was a Taiji practitioner. Like all the Taiji people, they didn't go. 
but it was mostly like Shingy guys, Swajow guys, or some Baji guys, you know, some Tongwe guys. Like, you know, some <laughs> didn't of these- you send me a black and white picture? And there's like two Swajow guys that got first and second, and they're kind of smiling. And then there's the Shingy guy over there in third place. But the Swajow guys that got first and second had to fight against him, and they've got giant welts. <laughs> on their faces where they took fists <laughs> to the face. So they're sort of smiling. They're like, yeah, we won. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it, and, but I think it was, I really appreciated his, his candidness, A, about the, about the tournament that he participated in. And then B, the skill level of the people who were there. And he specifically said that everybody who was there and did well had been doing supplementary training and specifically in things like boxing. Ooh. So, you know, and I think that's important. I think it's important to understand kind of what a lot of martial artists today looking into the past kind of consider the golden age, right? That sort of late 1800s, early 1900s into the 1920s and maybe, you know, 30s, give or take. And and to understand that there was a lot of sort of supplemental training that went on, you know. I, I think that uh, there's another interesting anecdote by uh, that Hai Yong. Um, if you haven't checked out his videos on YouTube, go do it because he is putting out a plethora of information out there that's absolutely critical and and it's super good stuff. He's doing he's doing the Lord's work. Yeah, he really is. For he's like doing good work. Chinese and, martial arts, and, totally. You know, I just I can't. You know, it's just like why are you bad mouthing this guy, right? Totally. Anyway, there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of people out there slag him. Anyway, but his grandfather was he also was a student of Cheng Chao Tong and he worked for Cheng Chao Tong's bodyguard, bodyguard service. Yeah. And he, and it was such an interesting anecdote that he related. And specifically it was around when guns yes. started being used by bandits and by, they were more commercially available in China. His grandfather was a uh, professional bodyguard. And, so and, they all learned the bulletproof iron bell method? Is yeah, that what exactly. you're telling me? Yeah, and what his grandfather said was he's like, yeah, we had to go get guns and we had to learn how to fight with guns because that was that was what was happening. It wasn't like they were, they, they were very practical men. you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> they weren't right. like, oh, yeah, no, we're still going to stick to our swords and our spears and our kung fu that we've been training for how long? They were like, oh, no, we, game's changed. we got to do something different. Joey Bandit's got a shotgun? Guess what? I need a shotgun. Yeah, for sure. Totally. So, you know, I think that, that, that to bring it back again, I think that this idea behind, you know, building the skill, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to use it or fight with it. Mm. And in reference to that, you know, that I think it was the 1928 or 1929, uh, Litai, there's a pretty famous story about there of, of, uh, of, um, uh, an iron palm master who entered into the tournament and, um, he lost because he thought, you know, he's like, I can break all these bricks with my hands. I can do all this, you know, I can do this amazing stuff. Cause you know, you didn't want to get hit by the guy was basically the, the, the long and the short of it. And the guy who fought him got hit once. And then if I remember right, he got up and then he started, I can't remember if he started kicking him or kicking yeah, his leg. Yeah. 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 I think I've read this one too. Yeah. And anyway, subsequently he stayed away from this guy hitting him either that or he was using swai and he threw he started throwing him yeah and then one or the other but he, he won it yeah he did he he won that match for sure and and the iron palm master was just he was i guess he was kind of beside himself he was kind of out of sorts about it because he just he invested so much time and effort into this building this, one trick this pony. iron yeah this iron palm skill and you know he could demonstrate that skill very effectively but he couldn't demonstrate it in a live environment and I think that that became that became sort of the the issue. 
tying that ego to that skill. You yeah. know, just just real thought. Um, just a, and it's a topic that we've covered too is filling in the gaps in your system, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes back into that. I, you know, in the U.S., I remember when the kung fu craze hit, not just with the Shaw brothers and Golden Harvest, but especially in the Bruce Lee movement. You know, you had a lot of people that had partial systems of kung fu mm-hmm. sure. that were filling it in with like American Kempo, Taekwondo, or Karate. Mm-hmm. And because it was pre-internet, nobody was none the wiser. Sure, yeah, and yeah. so a lot of these systems now in the modern age are going to the wayside mm-hmm. because people are looking at it and be like, that, oh, that looks a lot like American Kempo and mm-hmm. a, a little bit less like an authentic dragon system of kung fu yeah, exactly. and, and so i think that's a good thing i can remember i this this is going back a bit and we can wrap it up here pretty soon but do you remember in in the 90s and the 2000s like you know the early days of the internet that there were a lot of freestyle kung fu methods yeah, yeah, in america sure. that was yeah. a tagline back yeah. in, the, in the 90s and the 2000s sure we do freestyle pak may mm-hmm. we do freestyle choi foot yeah we do we do freestyle wing china what i like to say is we didn't finish the system so we're gonna yeah. wing it from here and, and figure out on our own way to use the, the you know the methods to use it which i guess I guess has some validity. Sure. If you're going to put in the work, but, yeah. but my thing is, is like, be honest about it. Be honest up front about totally. it. Totally. You know, just be like, yeah, you know, this is, we, this is, I studied some toilet foot and I For studied some Baji yeah. and I studied, you know, and, and I put this together. I never got, this isn't the whole system. This isn't just, yeah, just be upfront. And if you, you know, if, if your school's just like a, into using it or if your school's into just doing forms or whatever, just be upfront. But, but the problem is, is people try to make up a bunch of bullshit around it, and then they're like, "Oh, look at my skill! I can, I can, you know, I can smash this board, or I, you know, you can do this, or you can, you, you know, I can bend this iron rod, or I can do that." And it's like, okay, that that's cool, but you know, what what are we what are what are we doing here? Is that is that the skill? Is I mean, is that what I'm here to learn? You know, is it or are you you know is that. Is this the, is this what I'm here to learn or is this, you know, are, are there more things that you're in your system that you're teaching me? Exhibition versus true application. Yeah. Thank you. No, you're good. I got you. <laughs> I got you. I got you. So to wrap it up, I think that in terms of skills versus Sort of real fighting. I think that there's obviously a lot of translation there. I think there's a lot of places where they overlap. Levels. Levels. Absolutely. And I think that, that building skills is absolutely the name of the game. You got to build footwork. You got to build hands. You got to build coordination. But if you're going to translate that into like usage, then you're, you're not going to be able to spend as much time actually building the depth of the skill. And you're going to have to start pulling it out and then putting it into more uncooperative environments. Like the skills have to coalesce. There has to be a uh, cohesion of exactly. all of it. Yep. You know, where does the rubber hit the road? Okay. Definitely. You can, you can, you can tear apart a brake system. You can tear apart the transmission. You're pretty good at building an engine, but can you drive this car? Can you drive it? 